I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Online podcast. Hi, po Slovensko. Mhm. Kako pa ime? Aron. 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 Kak si Aron? Slovenian curica, hrvaško. Sreča curica. Alright. are we recording? Yes, it looks like we are. Welcome back to the Lion Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. And uh, that was my most beautiful, wonderful, adopted Slovenian mother. I uh, spent the last week cruising around Slovenia. Wonderful, beautiful country. Probably one of my favorite places I've ever been. I would suggest, highly recommend coming out to Slovenia in this conversation. Got to chat with uh, my buddy, Mr. Rafe Kelly. Rafe is rad. He is the founder of Evolve Move Play. He is a phenomenal mover himself. He has combined parkour-esque movements with uh, nature, getting outside, getting your feet in the dirt, getting your hands in the dirt, getting sweaty, getting dirty, getting sun, getting cold, getting hot, and uh, all those things that make our bodies percolate. If we're training with really simplistic movements in really simple environments, then we are overloading specific lines of tension in the body and missing the loading of, in some sense, the vast majority of the way that an individual joint, that a fascial network, that a muscle structure can be loaded. So when that really strong line of tension development now interacts with the tissue that hasn't been developed at all, I think that's why we see this epidemic of ACL injury. Our bodies have an unlimited potential of sensory reception and we end up dumbing it out with our shoes, with our gloves, with our flat surfaces and our whole linear lifestyle. And it's uh, reflecting in the way that our society is thinking, the way that we are perceiving our world. And I want to see it changed, it. Thinking about in our in our feet, for example, we have between 100 and 200,000 extraceptors. Extraceptors being the sensory receptors that receive information from the outside of the world, telling you what's going on around you. So when you are walking through the world, you have this NASA technology in the bottom of your feet that's receiving what's going on, and we end up completely deafing that out destroying it because we don't utilize it because we wear shoes everywhere we go so exercise to tinker with for the week uh something i was doing yesterday is well i try to do it every day but i was thinking about it yesterday was take your shoes off and just walk around take your shoes off walk around barefoot and just notice what textures feel good on your feet does walking around on flat pavement feel good probably not does walking around on grass feel good it's fantastic does walking around soft rocks feel good it's fantastic so then looking back how much time do you spend walking around with your shoes on in on surfaces that your body doesn't prefer so we are either consciously or unconsciously repressing our ability to feel and experience our world 
because we spend 95% of our time in a world that our bodies inherently prefer not to be in. We don't want to be in linear surface all, all, all the time, right? Originally, we come from nature, we come from circles. Original houses back before the Roman Empire were generally circles. The Celtic houses, when you look at, you know, or teepees or any older civilization that was really in tune with nature, it was all circular. So I'd like us to tap back into a little bit more circular, dynamic movement expression. It's like if you took away Vincent van Gogh's potential colors and brushes and different textures that he can use and said sorry van gogh all you got is a sponge and the color gray and that's what we have done we have the potential to create van gogh paintings but we end up just walking around throughout our city sitting in our cars and our offices just with our sponge and our color gray we got to start visiting new colors, and the way that we do that is by stimulating our sensory receptors, our mind, our body, our soul, our spirit. Come on now, spirit, a spirit to aliveness. Um, Maya Angelou quote, quote of the day is, uh, today is a good day. Today is a great day, in fact. I've never seen this day before. I don't know if that's exactly how, how it goes, but it's something like that. Every single day is new. I know it seems like it's, it may be the same repetitive thing. It's the nine to five because we're basing ourselves around our schedules as opposed to around our sensation of aliveness. Every single day is a brand new experience. Evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. We can do it. Please utilize the website, aligntherapy.com, A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you will find hundreds of free videos on self-care emotional movement. You'll find the self-care kit, which is a handy-dandy foam roller hollow inside balls, bands, and then you got screw on top so you can throw all that stuff inside there, pack it up in your car, pack it up under your couch, whatever you got to do. Just utilizing some tools to become your own therapist. Every single one of us in this world is a psychologist. Every single one of us in this world is a physical therapist because you need to be working with your own mind and your own body all the time. You got to take advantage of that. Get excited about becoming your own therapist. You can do it, people. Come on now. So I want to read a really quick little blurb of an article that I was reading in uh, on The Atlantic. And uh, so, quick thing in relation to deaf people and when they end up getting cochlear implants and they can hear for the first time. Um, sometimes it's painful, sometimes it's uncomfortable, right? So article goes, or a little blurb goes, most doctors advise their patients not to leave the house for several weeks after getting a cochlear implant so that they can get used to all kinds of new but common noises like water coming out of the faucet wind or wind hitting the window most go through extensive therapy to cope with their newly altered perspective on life some no longer feel welcome in the deaf community or choose to leave it some have trouble relating to old friends this is what the transition between becoming a natural organic dynamic expressive powerful human being will be if you are sorry there's a scooter it's <laughs> driving by this is what that transition of, of becoming a higher expression of yourself will be if you are surrounded by a dull repressed community and that is going to be the most difficult part of becoming a more powerful integrated version of yourself in a world that is not so powerful and not so well integrated people will judge and 
You need to not give a damn is really what it comes down to. It's the only way. Um, I'm heading back to the United States of America in a couple days. I'm going to uh, Venice, Italy today at 2 o'clock and then uh, taking off back to the homeland, the motherland. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Mr. Rafe Kelly, for coming on, man. Look forward to doing some workshops with you. And uh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Ciao, world. Align Podcast. The body is an organic organism. It's like the tree, right? So when, so if we're able to, you know, it's, it's like looking at it from, from perspective of, of quality of time usage. You know, if, if you're going to go to a gym for 30 minutes or whatever, it's like hopefully you're going to do some compound movements. Hopefully you're going to do something that's going to impact your whole entire system. Let's try and take that to another degree and say, let's start moving with other organisms that are comparable to us, you know, to what our natural expression of movement is, you know, so when you put yourself into those environments, the human being is an adaptation machine, you know, so the more potential adaptations that we can put in our reality, the more potential development we can, we can seize. Right. So yeah. one of the things you, you, you mentioned, or I've heard you mention is that com- complexity translates well into simplicity, but simplicity doesn't always translate well into complexity. I don't think you said it just like that, but essentially that, can you kind of chat about yeah, that a little absolutely. bit or like the relation of gyms versus, versus getting your feet in the grass? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's vast. It's such a big subject and people just don't, we, we live lives that are so divorced from just a basic awareness of what it means to be a human being um, that it's really easy for people to not see it. But to take just the tree branch versus the, the urban environment. So at a physical level, every tree branch has a different structure, whereas walls are much more similar. Right? So that's something that you have to adapt to. The, the, um, how big is the branch? What are the surfaces of the branch? What is the texture of the bark? The trunk that your foot is on. What are the deviations in the trunk? What are the structural things? Is there a slope to the trunk? Is there a negative slope to the trunk? Is the slope uh, curved? When you pull on the branch, does it bend straight down? Does it have a curve in it so that it bends in a specific way? Does it move side to side? Every branch, again, has... Um, some degree of play that's unique to that element. So all these things are are variables that the nervous system has to solve for when it's trying to overcome a movement. Right. So essentially, we're feeding ourselves a more complex problem every time we practice climbing in a tree, as opposed to practicing climbing on a you know a pull up rig. In addition. Um, so that's, that's neurologically. Physically, as far as the muscle structure, as far as the fascia, as far as the skin, um, one of the things I always talk about is my hand compared to the hand of someone who trains in the gym. So someone who trains in the gym tends to have a line of callus atop, uh, uh, across the top of their palm, and then the rest of the hand is totally soft. So what happens is that strong skin will pull on the soft skin and cause a tear. The, the callus is not, is not the problem. The skin that hasn't adapted to being loaded is the problem. So the reason you you have this sort of derangement of normal development because one area is getting a ton of loading and everything nearby is getting no loading whatsoever at all. So I'm climbing tree branches and tree trunks and rocks all the time 
And you'll see that essentially there's a callus from the bottom of my palm all the way up to the top of my fingers. And there's a little bit of extra callusing there, but it's um, by, on that you know common line there, but it's surrounded by callus across the whole palm. So it doesn't have the same capacity to exert force on a really weak structure. Um, Katie Bowman, who's one of my favorite thinkers in this world, she talks about this idea of proportional weakness. So that's happening at the hand. That's what's happening to the skin of the hand. But I think you can really think of this analogy happening to the whole body. If we're training with really simplistic movements in really simple environments, then we are overloading specific lines of tension in the body and missing the loading of, in some sense, the vast majority of the way that an individual joint, that a fascial network, that a muscle structure can be loaded. So when that really strong line of tension development now interacts with a tissue that hasn't been developed at all, I think that's why we see this epidemic of ACL injuries in collegiate and high school and college sports. Um, I believe something like 1 in 10 uh, or maybe 1 in 20 high school girls will, uh, who play on their soccer team will tear their ACL per year. So if you compound that over four years, then what is that, 1 in 5? high school girls who play soccer can expect to have an ACL tear. And these ACL tears are showing up in younger and younger children. We're seeing kids who are getting Tommy John surgery who are from playing Little League when they're 11 years old. The human body is not supposed to play specialized sports and do specialized strength and conditioning as its primary physical preparation. It's supposed to move like a human, which means running, jumping, climbing, um, and doing it in the outdoor environment. So, What's happening neurologically? We're, we're not feeding ourselves all this movement information. We're not adapting to a complex environment. What's happening physically? We're not loading the tissues, loading the joints in a diverse way that will create overall resilience in the body. And then psychologically, we respond well to being in nature. We have this inherent biophilia. If you let somebody take a walk in the woods, they're going to have um, as much sort of rejuvenation of their ability to exert will, their ability to have active attention, as if you get out, let them take a nap. Um, this, you know, um, Richard Louv talks about um, nature deficit disorder. And I think this is a real thing. People, people are supposed to be exposed to soil. They're supposed to be exposed to, to animals, exposed to plants to see green things, to listen to the wind, to listen to the, to the sound of waves crashing. All these things are tr tremendously nourishing to the human psyche, and you're not getting them when you're in the gym. When you've got your earplugs in and you're watching Oprah on TV and you're running on a treadmill, it's, it's a ridiculously inhuman um, sort of model of how to prepare the body, um, and it's really isolated. Yeah, one of, I mean, it's like the the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Is so so completely true with the with the human organism, and then we end up oftentimes, you know, we we get into these specializations because we think it's what we're supposed to do. You know, so you grow up and you're playing ice hockey or tennis or whatever it is, and your whole life becomes revolved around that. And in my opinion, that's misinformation. You know, we should start off with a functional foundation of movement. And then from there, you actually have the foundation to start layering whatever specialization that you want on top of that. You know, one other thing that, that um, I've heard you, you riff on, uh, I think is really fascinating is 
the concept of, of play and of roughhousing and of fighting and biting and, you know, kind of just like getting, getting kind of dirty with people. You know, it's like one of the, one of the things that I heard you mention was the, the, the dog bite reflex in another podcast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I think that's just so, so fascinating because I think so many people, you know, we have like these blank spots in our brain myself. I have many, many blank spots in my brain. The difference is I'm fairly cognizant of this and I'm like working with it. There's so many people that we don't know that we're missing so much information, you know, and then that's, and with that though, we, we learn this information by adapting to our surroundings, our surroundings being things like wrestling with each other, being things like chasing each other, like go play tag. You know, can you talk a little bit about the, the value of, you know, being able to wrestle with your friends. Yeah, absolutely. I want to connect it back to what you're just talking about about the the specialization of athletes too. Right? These two things are connected because my model for what is the problem that I see in in martial arts preparation right now? What is the problem that I see in sports specialization right now? It's that all these things were they're based on a model where the average person has a foundation of being able to move as a basic human being. And we didn't have to think about that in the past or have to really think about preparing that because people do it automatically if they're given a chance. If you live in a rural environment and you have plenty of free time as a child, you will run, jump, climb, wrestle, throw rocks, build forts, skip stones, swing sticks around, those are inherent aspects of human play. And because it wasn't something that needed to be named, it was just this ground substance of a human being acting like a normal human being. We didn't almost notice when we lost it. It wasn't part of our model for what a human being needed to be fit. And so when it went away, we didn't see the problems that we were creating. So when we tell kids, don't wrestle, we don't realize that by asking them in a sense to not behave like a normal human being, they're missing out on a tremendous amount of nourishment for normal development. So this is why we have these injury rates in sports is because kids don't get exposed to physical contact because kids don't get exposed to a variety of joint positions. They don't, they end up doing the same thing over and over again. The role of, of combative movement in particular, I think, is really interesting. And and you can see this because kids inherently want to do this. Like, this is why there's signs everywhere saying, no roughhousing. <laughs> this is why, you know, I go to my kids' daycare and they're always being told, don't hit, don't wrestle. Um, when they're at home, she gets to hit and wrestle with me. Um, because that's essentially we're telling them not to act like human beings. Um, again, uh uh, Spina, I think, said this really well, which was basically like when you put two dogs together, they start roughhousing. If they know each other and they're and they, after they've greeted each other, the first thing they're going to do is roughhouse because that's how a dog behaves. Well, it's the same thing with little kids, really. They'll start wrestling right away, but you don't tell your dog not to roughhouse with the other dog. And for some reason, we have a culture where we tell kids all the time not to roughhouse, not to climb, not to run, not to jump. Um, and we... Our, our theory behind this is that somehow we're preventing violence, that, that if they do that stuff, they're going to be reinforcing violence. But I think it's really the opposite. I think that what we're doing is we're, we're tamping down on an inherent drive. And then when it, if it does come out, it comes out in a really destructive way 
because we because there's no model for what it is. That's one of the damages. There's more damages than that, but let's just talk about that for a second. When I, I, re, I got a dog a couple of years ago, and I, I did a bunch of research um, prior to it, and I came across this idea that was really profound to me, which was that when you have a puppy, you need to let it bite you. Um, if you are always telling the puppy, don't bite, it will, it will stop biting, but it will have never learned to bite appropriately. And dogs bite each other all the time, but they bite appropriately. So there's something in dog behavior called bite inhibition. And basically that's the ability to, to put their, their jaw on somebody or an, another dog um, with an appropriate amount of force to either play or to warn another dog to do something other than just bite as hard as possible. Right. When you don't train a puppy, when you train a puppy basically by you let it roughhouse with your hand and when it is too painful, you take your hand away and you ignore the puppy and say, okay, we're not, we're not playing right now. And then over time, that basically that reinforces having control of the bite. And that's the way that a mother or dog plays with, with puppies too. That's how puppies play with each other. They, they negotiate what is appropriate. So when you don't have that, when that puppy doesn't, isn't prepared that way, if it is pushed over its threshold, and every dog has a threshold that you can push over where it will eventually bite. Now it only has one degree of biting, which is as hard as possible. So that's a much more dangerous dog all of a sudden than a dog that has bite inhibition. Mm -hmm. It's also not going to have as good a control to just like take food out of your hand. It's not going to have as good a control to move its jaw around and just be a dog because dogs interact with things with their jaws. And I think the same is true with a human being. I think if you've been in a fight, then you can learn to respond appropriately to a fight. If you've been in a roughhousing situation, you can learn to respond with the appropriate force, like if if a small woman attacks me and she's not a big threat, I'm not going to like gouge her eyes out <laughs> because I, I was a bouncer for three years. I roughhoused a lot as a kid. Like I can recognize when appropriate level of force, when someone's actually a threat to me and I need to respond with a high level of force. But that's because I have experience of that. If someone panics the moment someone is physical with them, they're much more likely to hurt somebody. So that's part of it. The other part of it is just like a dog needs that feedback to develop its jaw normally, there's no situation that has more kinesthetic feedback to the body. It's a more complex situation that excites more motor neurons through the whole body than wrestling with another human being. There's no better way to develop physical resilience in the entire body than wrestling. So not only are we denying kids sort of the ability to to learn to have conflict, to learn to be physical, to, to know what their bodies are capable of. We're denying them one of the richest sources of just developing physically. Yeah. Yeah. It's a similar, similar thing in, uh, in Hawaii and other places as well, but specifically Hawaii, I'm familiar with these centipedes that they grow to be humongous, man. They're like, they are so scary to look at. And the big ones, the adult ones, they're not that big of a deal, actually. I mean, they're human. They'll scare the crap out of you. But they have that that uh, that reflex, that bite reflex. They they figured out how to deliver a, an appropriate amount of, of venom or whatever it is they're shooting out that that makes you uncomfortable, you know. But the baby ones, those are the ones you have to watch out for because if they bite you, they're full on. 
They they don't they don't have that degree of restriction, you know. And, and, and humans are are similar in that way that you know we don't understand something until we learn it. You know, our our brains, our bodies, they're inherently lazy. You know, and I'm not trying to be blasphemous against the body. It's it's a, it's a fact. You know, we're only going to develop to the degree that we ask ourselves. You know, our bodies are are these are these humble servants. You know, but they only they will do exactly what we ask of them and nothing more. You know, our brain is thinking survival right now you know it's not thinking optimal development our muscles aren't thinking like let's get jacked while you sit and eat potato chips on the couch your, your body's thinking cool sweet you know like we're taking care of I'm gonna chill I'm gonna rest you know maybe at some point I'm gonna have to do you know I'm gonna have to actually go out and run a marathon you know so I'm curious from your perspective how does one start to challenge their system a bit say the person you know like I climb trees all the time people think I'm you know I'm, I'm a crazy hippie oftentimes what about the people that kind of have that inhibition of like, I don't want to be the hippie climbing a tree? You know, the person that lives in the city, it's like, oh, I don't know about that. I'm, I'm a little bit insecure about it. Like, what's the steps to start getting to know your body from this perspective? Yeah, so there's two things that I try to do with people. Like, first, we have to recognize that, that the body is atrophied in the average sedentary person. Like, the joints can't do normal human things. Like, I... I like to give the example of a fo- of the foot, right? If you if you're habitually barefoot, every time you take a step, your toe is going to uh, extend. It's going to dorsiflex up. It's going to come up towards your face. Um, if you're in shoes all the time, that that reflex will go away, and your toe will kind of get hardened into that position and won't be able to flex normally. And then people turn their feet out and they develop bunions. All, all these problems develop because of that. But just ask the average person to lift their big toe independently of their small toes and their small toes independently of their big toe, or to spread their toes, or to be able to adduct their toes or cross their toes over each other, and you find that most people have very little control over this. You don't use it, you lose it. So there's this, been this big movement towards uh, like barefoot running. Barefoot running is great. Um, you know, the foot needs to be strong. It's the foundation of the body, and it is probably the best way to, to give yourself information to the ground to develop a good running gait. But if you go out, if you're a person who runs six miles a day and you just take your shoes off and you start running six miles a day in bare feet, there's a really good chance you're going to injure yourself. And the same thing is true of every joint in the body. Most people don't have shoulders that go all the way overhead. So if I ask them to, to go and start hanging from a tree branch and jumping from branch to branch, like there's a good chance they're going to injure their shoulder. Um, one of the most common injuries we see in parkour is uh, medial elbow pain. Uh, which is because people lack ex- internal rotation at the shoulder, and so they dump their their scapula forward, which essentially impinges the ulnar nerve at that elbow, and you get pain. If you don't, most people have no idea any of these things are wrong with their body. They they have no model for what their body is, for what it is capable of, for what a normal human body can do, or the positions it can get into. So you have to prepare that. You have to give them a movement vocabulary of just. What are the, the, the joint positions they should be able to attain? What do those mean? Where do they express? And that's basically this rehabilitation and prehabilitation phase. Um, so I do a lot of joint integrity work. At the same time, though, I think if you give people just the, the, the stick and no carrot, then there's no motivation, right? If you're like, oh, here's a bunch of rehabilitation work. Like this is the problem with a lot of like um, PT stuff, uh, physical therapist stuff. 
They give you some really boring esoteric drill that seems to have nothing to do with anything that you'd ever actually want to do in your life. And they're just like, do three sets of 10 of this for the rest of your life. And, and like the compliance rates are basically zero. So you have to give people something that is engaging and fun that they can do as early as possible to give them a reason to do the hard work. And because through engagement and through having fun, we sort of, uh, we, we reconnect with our body. We reconnect with our love of movement. We, we optimize our learning environment and our brain. We start generating creativity. We rebuild our neural connections. I mean, there's an enormous amount of benefits through play on top of the fact that it's just fun. It's rewarding. Like I always tell people play is the inherent reward system to get you to move. Like your body literally just pumps drugs into you because you move and they do it for specific types of things because those things are the things that human beings always need to do. The reason that all kids like to climb trees because humans need to be able to climb trees. Um, so what I tend to do with most people is start with some sort of ground level flow work because that's fun and engaging. I try to give them some degree of improvisation stuff pretty early on in the process. And then we do a little bit of tree climby ish stuff pretty early. Um, but it's not like climb a tree as fast as you can to the top or jump between limb to limb or vault over this. It's just basically like hang from the tree branch, move around on the tree branch a little bit, put your feet on the trunk and move around the trunk with your hands on the branches. This gets people engaging with nature, gets them moving, but it's really safe. Um, and it's starting to develop strength, starting to develop all these characteristics that we're, that we're looking for. So, Build the joints, build something that's playful, and then get people out into nature moving. Awesome. And uh, you had mentioned overhand or, or hanging off of stuff, or aka brachiation, fancy, fancy mm -hmm. 50 cent word for that. Yeah. Uh, there's a book by a, a guy named Dr. John Kirsch, who's, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of that book. It's, it's called, I think it's called Shoulder Pain. Actually, it's come, it's in the mail right now. Um, and one of the things that he mentions in that book is actually reforming the musculature and the bone composition of your shoulders through the act of hanging each day. You know, it's like our, our connective tissue and our bones, you know, they're recycling that tissue every single day. Every single day we're providing new information for, you know, like the software for the development for that future production of tissue. You know, so yeah. it's, it's, it's so, so crucial that we recognize, I, oftentimes we end up putting ourselves in these limited boundaries. You know, it's like, well, I don't really climb trees. Well, I don't, I don't wrestle. Uh, I don't dance. You didn't dance. You didn't wrestle. You didn't climb trees. You can change that if you choose. You know, our body is continually changing dependent upon the information that we provide it. I had a question. I don't really remember what it was. Oh yeah, brachiation. <laughs> what was it, what has your path been with uh, the fifty cent word brachiation being just hanging off of stuff? Yeah. So um, I've done lots of that for years. I love. I've I've enjoyed that aspect of it. I'm fascinated by gibbons and chimpanzees and the way they move through trees. So. Uh, I love bar work and parkour, um, and I've and since I've moved into the trees and done more nature stuff, I've been looking for opportunities. Um, so, so I do a lot of that, uh, and it's kind of interesting that you brought that up because I did the um, 
the Hanging Challenge. Ido Portal published the Hanging Challenge earlier this year. And even though I'd done a ton of this type of work, um, I actually got a lot of benefit out of doing that seven minutes of hanging a day. It opened up my shoulder angle to the point where I was suddenly able to do a 30-second handstand when I hadn't really been doing any hand balancing. Um, so that that idea that we can rebuild through just, just these relatively small practices related to brachiation is really important. Um, I have a little anecdote about that that I like to tell as well, which is when I was um, when I was teaching in a rural um, area teaching gymnastics, I had about thirty percent of my students who could come in and, and do pull-ups on the first day. This is working with kids, and I found that the kids who who could do pull-ups they they had um, they were all often telling stories about having trees to climb. They were often telling stories about climbing trees. So I started doing this informal poll where I just asked any kid who could do a pull-up if he had a tree in his backyard. And it was basically a one-to-one correspondence. So I moved to Seattle and I started the parkour gym here and less than 10% of the, of the kids can now do pull-ups. Like it's a th- it's less than a third of what we had in the Skagit Valley who can do pull-ups. And, and I just never hear these kids talking about climbing trees. Like they're just, it doesn't happen to them. And I started realizing that like kids are inherently drawn to climbing trees and that's essentially the natural mechanism for developing upper body pulling strength. There's nothing in people's lives that kids will inherently do that has a lot of pulling strength development, except wrestling, which is another thing that people aren't allowed to do in our culture. So why can't people take their arm overhead? Why can't they, why is pulling strength so hard for people? Because we're not acting like human beings. A human being is a type of primate. We're, we're literally monkeys phylogenetically. For 60 million years, our ancestors lived in trees. We have grasping hands because we come from trees. We have binocular vision because we come from trees. And the reason that we have an upright body and broad shoulders and arms that go overhead is because as the body got bigger, animals went from on top of the branches to below the branches and hanging and brachiating to reach out and grab stuff. The human shoulder is designed to hang off of things. And all these people who have shoulder problems, essentially they're just not using their shoulder like a human being. They're not doing human things with their shoulders. So there's specific drills that we need to build to re, um, re-engage the neurological control of the scapula versus the glenohumeral joint, the elbow, the hand. You know, you can you can overdo this stuff and injure you. When I first started swinging on big tree branches, I developed an injury in my wrist, which was really surprising. It felt a lot like pain you get from hand balancing. I was like, how is that? But I was swinging on these huge branches, and I didn't have the structural integrity in my wrist and hand to, to take that. So we need to have a progression schema for that. But, yeah, like, this is something you're supposed to be doing as a human. If you're not brachiating, you're not expressing a big part – of of a human's natural movement capacity yeah fun fact of the day monkey bars are a misnomer they should in fact be called ape bars because monkeys are not the most phenomenal brachiators um another question in in regards to injuries and such have you sustained a lot of injuries in your path to becoming a more complete mover and what is your go-to when you do have that hand balancing pain when you do have that you know whatever pain what do you do yeah, you know, I have had uh, a number of injuries. I, you know, I always tell people, look at my students, not myself, as far as the history of injuries, because because I didn't have I didn't have myself as a coach. I didn't have 
people who had the same understanding that I have you now. So um, I tore my rotator cuff when I was 19 uh, doing jiu-jitsu. I was thrown by an athlete who was uh, about 6'5 and 250 pounds after a 13-minute sparring session. He did a, um, a shoulder throw or sayonagi on me, and my shoulder popped completely out of the socket. Um, so I had subluxation problems with that shoulder for years. Um, I was skiing and got sideswiped uh, while skiing and uh, retore the rotator cuff and popped the AC joint. Um, and then I popped the AC joint on the opposite side. Uh, I've I, Playing basketball in my teens, I sprained both ankles seven times. Um, they told me if I sprained either one of them again, I'd have a permanent ankle impingement. Um, and because of that, I lost a tremendous amount of mobility in my ankles. I still have like a little bit of ratchetiness and motor control issues in my ankles that I'm working on. Um, I've had chondromalacia in one knee and I tore my, uh, Achilles tendon. So, so yeah, I've, I've had quite a few injuries and, uh, you know, the, the way that I look at it is, uh, they were amazing learning opportunities. So I, I've learned a lot about the body because I've been like, well, this is broken. How do I fix it? How do I make sure that this doesn't continue to limit me in the future? So I have complete recovery of uh, my Achilles tendon. I have the same range of motion in my ankle. I actually have better range of motion on the Achilles tendon side than the, um, the side that it was uninjured. Um, I'm just as strong. I jump farther than I did before. Um, my shoulders are healthier now than when I was 19 years old. I, I like to joke that I'm getting younger uh, because my body actually feels better. My joints feel better now than they did when I was 27 or 25 um, because of the work that I've done. And that goes back to that, that joint prep stuff that I was talking about. You need to be doing these joint rotations. You need to be doing uh, mobilization and strength development at end range for all of the different joints in the body. Um, you, you know, you're as old as your joints. So, if you're not training specifically to to make sure that you have the full range of motion and full control of those joints, you're 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 essentially accelerating the aging process of your body. You're taking away your movement options and you're breaking yourself down. Uh, yeah, that's that's my big takeaway with that. The joints are are key. Take care of them. Um, keep training them. Uh, oh, here here's how that connected. I wanted to go back to how this natural movement thing affects the joints. So why do people sprain the ankle so often in our culture? Essentially, your ankle can invert and evert because your, your foot is supposed to move across uneven terrain. And it's supposed to do so barefoot. So you have all this mobility in the ankle that is essentially not used when we're walking in shoes on flat ground. So we're only stressing our ankle in the sagittal plane over and over and over again. And we're not strengthening the, the inner and outer compartments of the ankle. So not front to back, but lateral and medial. If you guys understand that, you know, the peroneals and anterior tibialis, these muscles are essentially never being stressed. The, the anterior telefibular ligament, all the ligaments around the ankle that support inversion and eversion, they're not being stressed regularly by life. So then you, you take this ankle that's essentially been cast by the way that we live. It's like having your ankle in a cast all the time walking around on flat ground. And then you try to do some high performance with it and land on top of someone's foot playing basketball 
and you destroy it because the tissue has no loading before that. It's not, it's not strong at all. And then nobody, and then you sprain your ankle, you go to the, the PT and the PT says, Oh, wear an orthotic and never let your ankle go in that position again. It's insane. You need to take your ankle through its full range of motion in eversion and inversion, and you need to be strong in both of those positions. And that's how you're going to get strong. So you can do the isolated drills, but I don't think that's enough. And I don't think that's really what you should be doing. It, it's, it's how we get from broken to, to, to functional again, but how we should be strengthening as human beings is through exposure to environments that force us to go through these positions. So run down a rocky beach, right? Go play on a sand slope. Go do all these things. This is feeding the, the neurological control and the tissue strengthening that your ankle is supposed to experience. You sprain your ankles because you spend too much time on flat ground and because you wear a shoe with a heel on it that adds a tremendous amount to the lever arm that's going to cause damage to your ankle. Don't wear heels. Wear shoes as little as possible. Get a diversity of movement into your ankle. And then do some some joint prep so that you're not going to have those ankle sprains because they're, they're brutal. <laughs> I've been there. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interesting thing that somehow we have decided over the last, I think, maybe like 25 years or so that it's the right decision to wear sneakers with lifts, with heels. It's like, I don't know, I don't know how that transition happened exactly. I mean, it was a clever idea from shoe companies or whatever it was, you know, and now Nike and Reebok and all that, they're making millions of dollars off this thing and people are getting injured, you know, and then it's feeding back into, you know, people having to pay for their injuries and such. But, you know, I think that the, the big takeaway from your experience with your injuries is, integration you know so integration essentially is is like that the, that communication throughout your whole entire system when you break down individual pieces and work with oh i got my so when you when you dislocated your shoulder and subluxed your you know we're subluxing your shoulder you probably weren't just doing you know medial rotation lateral rotation like rotator cuff exercises likely if you healed yourself you know likely you were hanging likely you were doing overhead presses likely you were doing integrational movements that demanded the connection from your hand to connect down to your foot every single block along the way needs to sync up right if it doesn't sync up then you're dumping power you're losing power if it does sync up you're healing all that tissue it's like magic you know does that does that make sense does that resonate what i'm saying there yeah i think you know i think there's a step before that um you know like ito says uh isolate integrate improvise um you if you if you go right into to trying to like do an overhead press on a shoulder that's that's banged up right. um what's going to happen is that your body's going to go around the tissue that's weak it's going to go around the, the the areas that don't work well so you have to go into that isolation phase the problem is people get stuck there right yes. or they don't even realize that there is something more than that so there are just they're just doing their bicep curls they're, they're just doing you know to me a a squat is an is an isolation, right? If you put a heavy barbell on your back, it's still a really, it's still a really simple pattern to do a basic squat. When you start running and jumping and landing in the woods and your body has to deal with, you know, transverse plane forces, uh, sagittal plane forces, frontal plane forces, the play of the branch, all these things that are happening, that's real movement. That's where you develop elasticity. That's where you develop all these more complex capacities. You have to, 
go through these these building blocks. Look at what is the what is the problem we're trying to solve with the athlete, and what is the tool. Start with isolation, but if you it's it's like the PT stuff. Like I said with uh, with with physical training, uh, with uh, physical therapy. If you're if you're doing this, you know, like you said, the okay, I'm going to do the the medial or the external rotation drills with a a band to to strengthen my shoulder. It's like well, great. There's a time and a place for that. But if you don't realize that there's a pathway from that to doing an overhead press to doing a pull-up to doing a back extension roll onto your hand to being able to brachiate, if there's not a way to go all the way back to being a fully functional human being and realize what being a fully functional moving human means, um, then I think people get lost along the way. Nobody wants to, to do external freaking rotations with a band forever. Like that's – that you you will do that if your shoulder does something for you that you really care about. Right. If your shoulder does really awesome, fun things for you, you want your shoulder to be able to brachiate for you, you want your shoulder to be able to do jujitsu for you, whatever it is, then you'll be willing to do the isolation phase. But the more that we can learn to to kind of smooth this path from isolation to integration to improvisation, dynamic, real, alive movement – um, I think the, the better we're going to be doing as trainers, as athletes, as movers and getting people to experience their body in a really, uh, good way. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more. I and so the, the integration piece, the reason I mentioned that is because I think it's a piece that we miss, you know, oftentimes if you go see the PT or, you know, and then depends who, who the PT is, you go see a good PT, they're, they're going to nail this, you know, but oftentimes, you know, we're taught that the way to heal is to focus, you know, get drilled down on that specific area and never really reconnect that communication. When we suffer an injury, we create a blank spot in our brain of that area. We essentially that the information, how to move functionally through there gets scrambled. We need to start to reintegrate that information back in or else again like you said with like the dog bite reflex stuff it's like you're dangerous you know you when you get put into those situations if you don't have an integrated well communicating system you get put into a, a, a awkward situation you're dangerous you don't know you could hurt yourself you could hurt somebody else you could blow your shoulder out again it's about recreating the movement map for that area that movement map does more than just some type of rehabilitatory medial lateral rotation you know abduction adduction whatever it does it dances you know like right now as we're communicating both of us are fairly expressive i can see as you as you talk you use your hands a lot Right. A lot of people, when they when they kind of talk a little bit more monk like and they're kind of in this position, you know, they don't express with their whole entire body. You know, and so it's it's so important that we recognize that, like when we break down these individual components of our system, it is a slippery slope because we are turning into robots. We are not meant to be robots. We are organic, vibrant, living structures. You know, and that's your whole thing is like move with move with the trees as opposed to like doing a linear bicep curl all day. I wanted to ask you a quick question in regards to um, people get so caught up in specific movements, right? So one of the things that I'm actually really caught up in is the one-armed handstand. I want it, <laughs> you know, and so I, I'm, I'm curious your perspective on, um, you know, a complete mover versus... Uh, a magician, you know, one that has like a bag of tricks, but they can't really connect the dots. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to say what a complete mover is in some sense, right? Because there's it's just one guy's thoughts on this, right? But I think about what what a, what did a human being need to do to survive? What are the things that we see kids play with all the time, right? Like every kid in every culture explores running, jumping, climbing, dancing, wrestling. Like th- these are the universal patterns of human play. So I think a one-arm handstand is is a great, it's a cool thing. I'd love to be able to do a one-arm handstand. I want to do it in a tree and make it look like the tree. Like I, I want to make my body look like the limbs of a tree as an art piece, right? And then dance. What's the opportunity cost, though, of developing that skill? Because one-arm handstand is uh, a quest, right? I, I don't have a one-arm handstand, but I, I work with a lot of people in the industry who do. And they tell me, you know, people are talking about three hours a day devoted to this one skill. But can you jump, right? Can you improvise? Can you dance? Can you fight? Can, you know, like, can you crawl well? Can you, like, there's so much that, does your spine articulate well? Like, there's so much that that we need to be capable of as functional human beings that this this tendency to fetishize some specific movements of very high-level movers, um, it can kind of be a dead end. Like, I, I run into these people all the time, you know, the, as this movement culture has developed. I run into people now who, who are can do tons of ring strength, they can do the one-arm handstand, they can do the one-arm chin-up, but they can't jump, right? When you ask them to to fall down, they cannot fall. They cannot. They don't have good basic break-falling skills. They don't have the ability to disassociate the body. So a lot of guys, because gymnastic strength is sort of the big thing in the movement community right now, in gymnastic strength, there's a lot of focus on tensioning the whole body together. In order to do like a plunge, you have to create full body tension, which is great for isometric skills but it's not how we move athletically right you you don't create full body tension when you're sprinting and jumping and throwing you have to be able to be tense in one muscle and completely relaxed in another you have to be able to move from the hips and disassociate what's happening at the shoulders so if you taught your body to be hollow body square all the time and now I tell you I want your hip to hit the ground first and then to create a chain all the way up to your shoulder, a lot of guys can't do it. Their body is so bound into this one shape that it's absolutely confusing to step outside of that. And I think that they've really um, they've lost a lot in pursuing um, higher level skills without developing basic level movement. Um, there's a great video of, uh, the Polish weightlifting team from the 1960s. Weightlifting is a really simple sport, right? Um, it doesn't have a ton of things going on with it, but if you look at these guys, they're running through the woods, they're jumping over things, they're picking up logs and throwing them. They're doing front handsprings. They're doing all of this wonderful movement stuff because the Soviets, they had it figured out in a lot of ways. They knew that if you want to be a great specialist, you have to be a good mover. So I think the one-arm handstand is, is a skill that you shouldn't really be playing with unless you can do a lot of other things well. <laughs> unless you, there, There's a lot of things that you should take care of before that becomes something that's on your agenda. Yeah. 
And one of the things that you that you had mentioned is uh, falling. You know, I think that one of the things that I, I talk about sometimes. I, I go snowboarding. I might go snowboarding after this. Actually, we still have some snow at Mount Bachelor. Um, you know, but it's falling every time that you end up tomahawking yourself down a mountain on a snowboard. Hopefully, in some good powder, your body is learning. You know, it's adapting. It's that's it's it's almost like it's kind of like like the testing day. You know, it's like how is your subconscious moving moving parts work when you. You get when you actually get put to the test no but i think so many times people we end up fearing falling you know we fear like going down to the ground you know like like fall risk that's a big thing for older folks in the united states you know it's like you go to another culture go to japan such where it's like it's a normal thing to be on the floor you know there's fall risk isn't a thing anymore you know, because we've never created that movement gap in our minds of i don't have the information to process that anymore Curious for you, I had a random question. What is your, um, what inspires you to get up in the day and like, and do this stuff? Cause that's a big thing. It's like, you know, health begets health, wealth begets wealth. It's like the more you have of something, usually the more you have of it. But for the people out there that don't necessarily have an abundance of energy, you know, that's, it's, it's like a black hole, you know? So like what inspires you? And when you have had dark times, I know you have, you know, I have, we all do. Like what, what brings you back to like, you know, I, I, I do have a reason to go monkey around in a tree. Joy. I mean, it's really simply like there's very few things in the world that I enjoy more than nailing a new skill or new line running around in a tree or even just being in a tree, even just like, even if I'm not like doing something cool and new and explosive, like just climbing a tree is, is a, can be an experience of like really profound joy for me. I, I climb up into a tree. I look out on the horizon. I see the ocean. I see the sunset. I, I experience the, the wind blowing me back and forth or see a, a bald eagle flying overhead. Like there's a, a reconnection with the earth. There's a, a presence in the moment that comes out of that, that, um, that is profoundly rewarding for me. And I know that that's the case. And I know that even when I am, um, even when I'm sort of struggling or not having fun or not, not enjoying things to the normal degree, that the practice of going out and moving every day regulates my life and gives me the opportunity to experience joy and the experience to feel love of the world. Um, and, and so I keep doing it, you know, it's kind of like being in a relationship, right? Like it, sometimes it sucks. Sometimes it's hard, but you know that you have this potential with this other person to experience ecstasy, to experience connection. And so you do the work. You like, why do you keep talking to that person? Even when it's difficult, why do you keep doing these things? Because, because there is this intensely rewarding thing. And I think that that physical practice can have that same enchantment that same you literally can feel in love with your physical practice um and i do like sometimes i wake up and i'm just like it's the first thing on my mind it's the last thing on my mind before i go to sleep because i i am in love with what i'm doing um so i think that's what people should be seeking in their physical practice they should be that's why i always start with play that's why i think this play component is so big because i don't think that that ultimately any other motivation is as rewarding, is as self-fulfilling um, as doing it because you love it and because you're intrinsically rewarded by it. Uh, so that's that's why I do what I do. Awesome. 
Yeah, and so it sounds like what you've done is you've you've created that pattern in your in yourself in your mind whatever that that's translated to joy doing these healthy activities you know and it's like it's it's an interesting thing because we're always creating patterns 100% of the time no matter what right now as we are talking to each other you know the way that we're moving the way that we're talking the things we're thinking about we are creating the software for the way that we're going to move for the rest of the day move for the rest of the week so on and so forth you know so i think oftentimes it's like we need to recognize it's just those little baby steps they start to compound you know a really great book by a guy named Darren Hardy called compound effect you know it's like those individual little steps they start to get bigger and bigger and bigger eventually it becomes who you are you know eventually it's like man I'm feeling I'm not feeling so good today it's like well you do you reach for like a crack pipe or do you reach for you know a tree branch you know it's just but it's those little individual steps that eventually manifest as being you know your 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 movement decisions throughout your day so we're running low on time um I got a couple couple questions for you really quick if one of the things that you've mentioned in the past is was uh, movement aliveness. This is the last question, so we only got a couple minutes or so. But it could, can you kind of like just riff on that a little bit of like what that is? Yeah. Put simply, I think movement aliveness is the ability to deal with variables, the ability to deal with more inputs in your movement. So people often practice things in isolation, uh, or they practice things pre-planned and this does not prepare you to be able to really do something. Um, if you, if you look at something and say, I'm going to do this vault, it's not the same as having someone chase you and having to figure out on the fly. If you, if you have to figure it out on the fly, it actually, it needs to happen subcognitively. It can't happen in your thinking mind. So if you don't have a way to prepare yourself to, to, to learn, to rely on the non-thinking mind on the subcognitive mind, then you're, you're not actually preparing yourself to be able to do it in an emergency situation. You're not preparing yourself to really be alive with the skill. Um, so can you do it reactively? Can you do it improvisationally? Can you do it under increasingly difficult circumstances? Can you, you know, you can throw a punch at the air, but can you throw the same punch with the same crisp motor pattern when someone's trying to hit you? Can you, identify the the point in the rhythm of a fight where that punch is the appropriate thing. Can you, can you land that punch when somebody's going to push down on your hand? Cool. When, when someone's moving forward or backwards. Um, so this is, this is this concept of aliveness to me. You at every kind of level of, of movement, there is, we talked about isolation, right? You, you'd be able to isolate the joint, make it function. Now, can you, can you express that function in doing a handstand? Can you express that function in doing a handstand that comes out of a, a jump, right? Do a back handspring. That's, that's a more alive situation. Can you do that back handspring when someone's trying to kick you in a capoeira match? That's, an, that's another level of aliveness. I take people from capoeira who are really good in the classroom setting and ask them to do it on grass, and all of a sudden they're slipping all over the time, all over the place. It's a it's a variable that they've never dealt with. Take people who are comfortable jumping between rails, ten feet off the ground, and ask them to jump between tree branches, and they're scared all of a sudden because their eyes have never had to adapt to 
the depth perception problems that the play of light through tree branches causes. So their jump shrinks by a foot. Height, can you can you deal with vertigo when you're well off the ground? There, there are so many variables that can affect your ability to express movement in reality. Most people's movement practices don't address the vast majority of them. You can be strong as a bull in the gym. And if you're scared 10 feet off the ground, you won't be strong anymore. Your body will shut down that strength. Right? You, can, you can hit the heavy bag as hard as you want. You can blow the heavy bag up, but if you can't land a punch on somebody, it doesn't matter. You can do a conch precision 10 feet, you know, but if when someone's running from you, you shut down or someone's chasing you, you shut down mentally. It doesn't matter. You have to, in my opinion, if you really want to be a mover, if you really want to have mastery of your skill sets, you need to go to this place of doing them in many different conditions, uh, reactively, um, under pressure. That's, that's when it becomes a lie. I love it. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the same thing. You know, we are adaptation machines, expose yourself to an abundance of variables and you become a superior human being, I would say. Right. Yeah. Um, where do we find you at? I know you, you do radical seminars. You, I, I, the teaching that I've seen on YouTube, I think is fantastic. I'd love to attend one in the future. Where do we find you at? Yeah. So I, my website is evolvementplay.com. Um, it's kind of in the works right now. I do a lot of my stuff through my Facebook page, Rafe Kelly movement. Um, I have events coming up, um, in New York and, uh, actually Portland, Oregon. So that's pretty close to you, um, in June. And then the big event of the year is my return to the source seminar, which, uh, is July 24th through the 26th. It's a three day seminar at the spots where tree runner and return to the source was shot. And we stay at my family homestead in the Skagit Valley, which is this incredible place that my dad has built with this. Basically, people talk about it, it looks like Middle Earth architecture. We've got saunas and ponds and diving boards and apple orchards and an outdoor kitchen. It's an incredibly beautiful experience. So um, if people are really interested in my work and they want to go deeply into it, that's absolutely the best thing that they can do. Um, and I do online personal training as well. And that's a... Uh, I do a few different tiers, but what I really like to do with people is is really dig into the movement component, which I don't see a lot of people doing. And I do that through video analysis and um, video support. So I send a ton of video out of all the elements that I want to uh, to see people doing. So if you if I send in and say, hey, I need you to do a split foot Kong vault, you're going to get a video about how to do the split foot Kong vault. And you're going to send me a video back and I'm going to analyze what you're doing well and I'll break it down and take screenshots of where your body position is versus the body position that I want you to see. So I think this is kind of an un, this is a service I don't see really anybody else providing of getting into this depth in movement. So if you're really interested in moving and being able to learn basically like parkour stuff, but mostly focused on nature and gymnastic strength training and joint integrity work to support this type of movement, then I, I highly recommend, you know, sending me an email and seeing if this would be the appropriate service for you. So those are the kind of the big things that I'm doing, the seminars and the online personal training. And then if you come to Seattle um, and you want to do an uh, in-person personal training, I'm happy to do that as well. And I'm also just training regularly. So people who want to just show up at one of my training sessions and hang out, that's always cool too. Cool, cool man. Thanks so much for coming on. I appreciate it. I love chatting with you. I love your work. It's awesome.
Thank you very much, Aaron. It was great. Align Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show, and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website, aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there, you can find my blog. You can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist, a massage therapist, all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.